Welcome to the Red Hand Podcast, the most listened to Ulster Rugby Podcast. The Red Hand is independent, made by fans, for fans. Next level Ulster Rugby content featuring unrivaled insight, unfiltered opinion, powerful stories and accessible analysis. If you're a business who would like to advertise to thousands of rugby fans across the province and beyond, please get in touch via Instagram at theredhand.co or email peter at theredhand.co. Don't forget to follow us on socials and join in the discussion. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to support us, please sign up to The Red Hand on Patreon. Also, please like and subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a rating and tell your friends. Put the link to the podcast in some of your group chats. Thanks for your support, and we hope you enjoy listening to this episode. Welcome to the Red Hand Podcast. Never in doubt. Those were the words I was repeating after Ulster's inevitable demolition of racing at Fortress Kingspan. Christmas has come early. Ulster are class again. Having been lukewarm to tepid so far this season, have Ulster been bubbling away beneath the surface? Are they now ready to boil over following their best performance in over a year? If you missed his post-match interview, Dan said that he and some senior members of the squad had been spending time conducting experiments, seemingly mostly to do with quick tap moves and how they work. The results were released against the uh, French side to devastating effect. Next up are Poor Connett off the back of four straight defeats. They're the next guests at the Kingspan and... Then it's down the road to face Leinster on New Year's Day. So there's a lot to talk about, a lot of excitement, a lot of uncertainty. And to discuss it all, I'm joined by an incredible and incredibly large panel tonight, which is great because this is the last one before Christmas um, and we're going to do it in style. So Harry Jones is a podcaster himself. He's joining us. We're honoured to have him. Uh, You can find him on social media, Harry Baldy Jones. Uh, good to have you on, Harry. It's always good to have someone outside of the Ulster Rugby echo chamber. We get into a bit of a bubble here. Um, so tell us a wee bit about yourself and, and what you do. Yeah, cheers, Peter, and uh, how's it to the, the panel? Uh, you know, I'm part of that great diaspora of South Africans who uh, are on many shores. Uh, at this very moment in time, I'm in northern Mexico. I'm discussing the entry of a team from Monterrey, Mexico, into MLR in 2025, but you'll find us all over the world where rugby is played, um, Safas. Uh, but I'm now I'm based in the US. I write. I'm in the middle of doing a graphic novel about each position in rugby, comparing them to uh, Mastiffs and Neanderthal monks and uh, uh, Barishnikov with Kalashnikov. I also do pods with Brett McKay of Australia. We've got some exciting news for next year. And then I uh, generally just... Um, you know, spout decadent nonsense on um, on Twitter and, and and elsewhere. But I've always been a fan of Ulster, and I, you know, it's the Henderson, Terblanche, Vermeulen, Ludic, Muller, Pinnock, Simpson kind of um, strains of history and and the threads. I, I think maybe also when you support a team that's outside your country, you kind of like the one as the underdog. So in the great engineering project of Irish rugby, where it seems like no matter what happens, this you know it all flows towards the richer, the rich get richer. I kind of always liked Ulster, kind of the, the you know wasn't the one scooping the boarding school boys. It was just the you know the one that would get the kids the spicy plum. That's that's uh, kids off fits you guys to a T. You're gonna love this guy from Somerset West. He's hard as nails, unassuming. Uh, no, it's it's really good to watch you guys play. 
Love it, Harry. And you know your audience. Thank, thank you for your kind words about Ulster and you're the latest in a long line of South Africans to be welcomed in the Ulster, or at least an Ulster-based podcast in this case. So um, so good to have you and uh, fascinating person. I, I followed you on Twitter for a while and really wanted to get you on the pod. So th- thank you for joining us. Um, and uh, look, there's a lot to talk about. And as I say, we have a big panel, so we'll not hang about here tonight. And Nathan, as it's become tradition, um, could you take us through the story of the game? So for anyone who didn't see the game, and sorry to those who missed it because it was an absolute cracker, um, tell us, uh, I suppose, just give us a, a general overview about about the game on uh, Saturday night there. Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, well, last week it was, it was great listening and I missed it, but it was great to listen to all the technical difficulties from last week. And then I think the week before we had Jack's marital marital difficulties. So after those two, I'm wondering what difficulties we're going to have uh, when Ulster finally won a game. I don't know. They're probably going to be a baby boom in nine months or something like that. That might be the, the extent of the difficulties uh, this week or maybe next year. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, listening to last week, um, I always say... Uh, in the media we're important enough that people should listen to us but if you work in sport you absolutely should not listen to us because we'll just get you down all the time but maybe Dan McFarland was listening because uh, Daniel was talking about um, engineering something early on some sort of set play or, or something to get the crowd into it and to kind of turn get that old horrific fortress uh, cliche going uh, at the Kingsman and you know three minutes in they're they said, feck it, uh, we're crap at everything else, but the mall's going really well, so we'll just try and maul from every single opportunity. And uh, Nick Timney scores after three minutes from a quick tap maul, and I'm sure that's going to be something we discuss loads of. But, I mean, it led to two tries in the first 20 minutes. Um, they didn't quite score off the second one uh, in 20 minutes, but on a phase later, McCluskey bar- bar- barrels over with half the racing team on the floor trying to stop a maul from five yards out. So, look, it was br- really clever. Um McFarland, I think, credited Henderson with it during the week. So fair play. It worked. It, it smacked of the Springboks going, screw it, we're really good at scrums. We'll just call we'll call uh we'll call scrums on our own twenty-two from mark free kicks. Um this is a little bit different trying setting up malls in your own twenty-two, but it but it, it set the tone. Um there's a few other moments that set the tone that probably weren't as scripted, like Stockdale sending Henry Arundel into the middle of next week with a with a big tackle. Obviously, I got the crowd into it as well, but um Look, it was also going back to basics. They did concede a try that you probably expect to concede against French sides when, you know, off off transition ball, they go crossfield kick. Gibert uh, to Imhoff catches it. Balakun kind of gets caught in no man's land. He doesn't know where to go to try and defend it. And then uh, Imhoff throws an unreal offload and Lagarak scores. But that was kind of the extent of, of Racing's first half attack. And then I think Larry puts Stockdale through a hole um, later on and Cooney gets hold down just short of the line and then they throw, Hume throws it wide and and Matty Ray gets over for, for a rare try. So, I mean, three tries just before halftime, 21-5, Ulster's lighted another try five minutes in, another tap and maul <laughs> this time. Um, and look, it was interesting that then Rassing then proceeded to score two maul tries of their own, but more conventional line-out mauls as opposed to uh, tapping from five yards out and then Cooney kind of sealed the win with 10 minutes to go with with the penalty so it was it was pretty comfortable 31-15 um, victory also going back to basics I thought and um, yeah doing what they needed to do which was get their look it sounds simple but getting the crowd into it as early as they did um, had a massive effect and they went in with a very simple very uh, narrow game plan and and uh, once they were in the 22 at least and it worked now it obviously relied on Racing kind of gifting them opportunities to get into the 22 which I'm sure we'll talk about in more detail but um, yeah it was it was it was needed that performance yeah absolutely and thanks Nathan for that um, 
Nathan's inclusive thing in this pod, we have the balance not being a, a natural Ulster fan, but an adopted one or an honorary one. Uh, so it's great to get sort of an objective look at the game. And uh, similarly, Harry, um, moving moving on to sort of someone from outside of the Ulster rugby bubble, I'm really interested to hear about your perception of Ulster. You talked about it a wee bit there, the South African connection we've always had, or rather we've had in the past sort of 20 years to some extent. But could you um, maybe talk us through some of the key moments? Susan Nathan, give us a general overview there. But when you watch that game, give us give us a, a rundown of the key moments and maybe what impressed you most about Ulster. Yeah, oh, no, it was the tap and the rumble in the jungle and all that. And we'll get to that in a second. But actually, other things also impressed me. One was that you had half as many penalties as you did line breaks. And I think developing line breaks hasn't been Ulster's forte this season. Um, I think the four for four conversions was big because you kept scoreboard pressure. When you actually, when you roll that game again in your head, and um, if Rossing makes uh, all their conversions and we miss one, suddenly it's a different complexion. Um, I think busting that many tackles, you know, James Hume must be the descendant of David Hume, the great philosopher who didn't believe anything unless he's uh, smelt and touched it because McCloskey was making believers out of Rusting 92's midfield. Um, he was whatever the agnosticism they had. It was burned out of them after a while. I could not believe how many he busted. Uh, got, in right, got on the right side of the referee early. I thought that was a big thing. Winning while he still let in three tries. I don't know if that's going to work against Leinster, but it certainly worked against this mob. Um, but no, let's go to the malls. I think so. The thing that's interesting about scrums and malls, and you look up to Johnny today on Twitter, and he's done a really good job of outlining uh, strike rate from malls. And it's not nearly as good as you think if you launch it from an, a line out because so many uh, logistics can go wrong. you got to have the call. you got to have the audible. you got to have the lift to just right. you got to have uh, a little bit of luck sometimes. you got to have the thing straight. you got to come down, got to switch right, and then you got to try to find some sort of shear. A good scrumming team isn't always a good mauling team because scrums are all about pincering and smashing the the pressure through a couple of shoulders and collarbones, whereas a successful mole always tries to find a way to get around. And you stop a mole by just making it stop. You don't make it go backward. You just freeze it. Um, and I thought that uh, Ulster just had an unstoppably dynamic um, uh, trigger of these moles. It looked really good. It was better than the strike rate of the best teams in 2023, which were Wales, Australia, and uh, France. Uh national teams. Ulster, if they can do that a lot and keep looking, making different looks, uh, it will mess them up. But I think it also does transfer to scrums in that I think the mentality of overpowering and dominating and just, I don't know, emasculating a foreign scrum on foreign soil, it really works. And I think it could go far in this competition. I don't know how it works in the interprovincial derbies, but I think it looked really good against uh, the French team. So for me, it was still coming back to that idea of just setting something up that you kind of think I should be able to stop. Uh, and then when you don't stop it, then you can't stop it again. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that phrase, emasculating. Uh, the, the scrum and emasculating another team is just so brutal. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I agree. Like that was, I mean, a couple of key things there, the scrums and the, the, the mall is bread and butter stuff. But um, uh We've our mall has been our main attacking platform or weapon for the past sort of at least season more than that probably. But like we came out of a really difficult patch there. A lot of criticism aimed at Dan McFarland and the various other coaches. And um, Daniel, I'll turn to you now. What does that win mean for Ulster in the context of this season coming out of that rough patch? 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely it's class for a squad. I think especially at home, big away wins are really good for a squad. But I think they also need to do that in front of some fans as well. Um, I think it was it was great to see how much the players really really enjoyed it as well. Like afterwards, you could just see like how much of like a burden had been taken off them. Um, they were clearly they were clearly struggling with with maybe finding a bit of like an identity. And I think, like, like it's not necessarily, you know, uh, uh, as Nathan was sort of saying, it's not necessarily something that you could do every single week. It's just do tap mall penalty or tap, you know, tap and go and go to the mall. But it was innovative and it was different. And I thought, actually, there's a bit of ownership there as well. They were saying about Henderson, you know, Nathan said Henderson chatted about it in the week. There is a wee bit of ownership there that the players were able to, to come together in the week and talk about it. But I thought the bigger thing for Ulster's season... It felt like a really, really big turning point for particular players. So I thought John Cooney was superb Um, in that first 20, especially. I thought our pace of ball was really, really good. And that, that first, leading up to that first try in three minutes, you know, Rassing didn't touch the ball. Um, And John Cooney's been playing a really, really good pace. McCluskey's try, he's he's really good at sort of looking eyes up. Um, We weren't just picking off the side of a rock. We were, we were looking at... At how we could score, and I thought Cooney was very good there. I thought James Hume was absolutely outstanding. I I haven't seen him play that well probably since his you know before that injury on that New Zealand tour. Um, like just there was a couple of huge moments from him, and and one that I really thought watching the game back, you know, in the terraces you tend to sort of forget a wee bit what actually happened. You kind of remember the tries, but you kind of you, you need to sort of watch the game back. I thought the bit the biggest moment look watching it back was James Hume. Um, Jaber puts a crossfield kick. He has to turn. Um, and Imhoff is coming for him, and he takes a ball and offloads it to Balakun. Um, and it's a really, really, really big moment for us. And that then from there leads to us going down the the left wing through through Laurie and Stockdale and Timoney, and eventually we get the score. Um, I think and you know, Hume's the last pass. And those two moments, I think you know that's right before half time. That turns it to twenty one five. And realistically, I think if Rassing do you know if they if Hume doesn't take that ball over the back of his head, Rassing are probably in behind us. And if they go in at something like 14-12, I don't think we would have gotten over the line. I think night 21-5 is such a big gap and it was such a big moment. Um, but I thought there was a lot of big performances, and I thought Kitsoff was really, really one of them. He looked like a guy that was worth spending all the money on. Um, it, he was he was really, really superb. Um, and so I think in the context of the season, a lot of guys had particularly big individual individual performances. And I think that will carry into the rest of the season, hopefully. But as a team, it's maybe not a platform or a, it's maybe not a sort of, you know, an archetype way of how we could win every game. But it's a really big thing for personally, for certain players. I think they had really, really big games. And that was great to see. I thought Stockdale's another one who I'm sure we'll talk more about, but I thought he was really, really superb. And that was great to see. Yeah, absolutely. And look, in terms of, I'm just conscious of um, Nathan will have to sadly leave us uh, slightly early this evening. And I want to, before he goes, uh, we saw one of rugby's great heel turns this week. Uh, if, if you're a wrestling fan, you'll get that reference. Um, it's where someone uh, does something bad or evil. <laughs> but uh, I think that's maybe a bit harsh on Snyman. He's effectively a guy with without a contract who's joined a new club. But there's so much more to it than that. Nathan, can I get your thoughts on that briefly as uh, someone in, in the new and, and down in your neck of the woods as well? Yeah, of course. I mean, just, just very quickly, I, I just wanted to jump on Dan's point about, uh, first of all, Hume, completely agree, um, especially because if you in the Irish context, Ringrose has been poor for Leinster this year. So we're not quite at the stage where we have to talk about that, but we're, we're getting there. 
in terms of that 13 shirt. And secondly, um, he's dead right in that the mall thing isn't going to work every week. A, because Ulster were on two of the three, I think, were pre-binding or pre-latching before contact. So just all a coach needs to do is in the midweek meeting with the ref says, hang on for that. I mean, Luke Pierce probably just wasn't watching for that because he wasn't expecting like everyone else. And B, all you need is someone to chop Henderson there before he transfers the ball, like a Will Connor style chop tackle, and he's on the floor and the, with the ball and the other three lads. Are, so it's it's the type of thing where it needs the element of surprise. Uh, but on Snyman, um, yeah, I mean, absolutely shocked. I It was my colleague, Thor, Jerry Thorne, who broke the news and it went up at 11 o'clock on Friday night and I saw it on Twitter at quarter past 11 and I texted straight away being like, Jesus Christ, where in the name of God did you get that? And of course, he's, he wouldn't tell me because we're not we're not supposed to be telling people sources, etc. But uh, yeah, I mean, put it that put it this way, from a journalist's point of view, that's a career maker of a story, at least in Irish rugby. Like, Jesus, that was... Not expected. Um, I think under the circumstances, Munster were forced into it because they made they couldn't have two non-Irish qualified locks, which is what you know the the unwritten new Sephora rule is. Um, it's it's not that it's like I said, it's not actually a rule. It's just what he says. You'll pick up the phone to Rentry and say. So under that, they said we're going to go with the guy who's played more for us and has a lower injury profile, even if he's not a, as good a player in in, in John Klein, um, or a very different type of player. So in that case, then it's just. The open market, Leinster, Johnson, you know, Snyman's a free agent. Leinster getting rid of one South African second row and Jason Jenkins, and Snyman wanted to stay in Ireland clearly, and he wasn't got to got to go to Connacht, and I, I don't think Ulster could afford him. So if there was only one place for him to go, maybe Ulster might have been able to scrape, scrape the cash together if 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 he, Big Stevie Kitsoff was on the on the recruiting trail. Um, but I look, Nina Burr is the coach of Leinster. Snyman said in his statements he adores the man, so it doesn't make. It's not that surprising when you think you can't draw that into it. The controversy is that Lens it came in the same week that Caelan Doris got bumped off a Leinster contract onto an Ireland contract, which is saving Leinster about two and a half a quarter of a million a year. Um, Dan Sheen's almost certainly going to be bumped up, I suspect, before the Six Nations as well. Um, so you're looking at half a dozen of Leinster starting team that they're not paying for. So that's the controversy and you know a lot of people on on Munster Twitter are saying that's the IRFU not funding. Provinces equally that they're funding Leinster, seeing as there's only three players from outside of Leinster that are on central contracts: Henderson, Aki, and um, the other one. It'll, it'll come to me to Tyburn. Um, but the Leinster people are saying, well, it's because they're producing the best players, so of course that they get they get the best contracts from Ireland. But then the argument is it's a vicious cycle because of the population and the financial benefits of being in the capital. They're always going to be producing the best players, which means that they're going to be on this self-perpetuating cycle of, of ending up developing players that are the best. They're not paying for them. The union is. And therefore, they can go out and spend €400,000 for RG Snyman for one year. That's a, lot, a very interesting conversation that I've only started thinking about in the last week. But that's kind of the thinking. In, in terms of free market capitalism, go for it. No issue with Snyman signing. Once Munster got told that they can't have him, could Munster say, well, look, we don't have as many guys on central contracts we can't, we don't have the, you know, we could do with keeping him. They probably made that case, but once like, on that front, I don't, I don't see any issues with it. I think people need to get over the whole moving from one province to the other, A, because he's not Irish and B, because New Sephora moved players and provinces all the time. I mean, half of the, you know, the half of the Connacht and Ulster starting point at one point were from, not from those provinces. So it's a really finicky one. The one point I would think is something that needs to be talked about is, do do central contracts just go to the best players or do they have to be an even spread among the amongst the provinces because that is a, an argument that they are indirectly just funneling more money into into Leinster's pockets when they probably don't need it 
Yeah. So, so a lot of words really to say it's a um, it's a pro Leinster conspiracy, and I agree, Nathan. Absolutely. <laughs> no, I actually, yeah. I, I just knew with your proximity to to that story, I, I thought you'd have a, a, an interesting and balanced take on it. And like, I think you're right. Like, uh, this is a guy out of contract, signed up to a new club. Ian, do you want to come in on that? I uh, just a quick point on uh, people uh, moving across provinces from a fan point of view. It's 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 never uh, it's never what you want. I can remember when we uh, we lost Isaac Boss to Leinster and then uh, BJ Botha to Munster. Uh, you know, felt incredibly um, uh, gutted uh, uh, um, at that. And I can remember Leinster fans as well uh, when uh, Joey Carberry moved to Munster. You know, up up in arms too. So I can understand the Munster fans' point of view. Um, absolutely no issues with uh, Sneiman going to, to Leinster in the free market uh, and good luck to him. Um, it, it, it is a bit of an imbalance in, in, in the respect of he strengthens them incredibly. And uh, if you're going to come across a fully loaded Leinster side, maybe uh, in, in knockouts at the end of the season, uh, he's going to have a massive effect on, on any game. Um, so, but, uh, uh, you know, uh, just, just from a fan's point of view, it's it's uh, it's always sad to see somebody move across to the to the other side. So. Yeah, I, yeah. I I agree on that, but I just think very quickly, Peter. I just think we've long like we've we went to the New Zealand model of all four provinces serve the national team a hell of a long time ago. Now I think I think Carberry was the first high profile point of that, but there were lower guys on the ladder moving well before him and yeah you're right Leinster fans did kick up a fuss and um, but at the end of the day it made absolute perfect sense the only way you could say this one doesn't make sense is you know is, is Joe McCarthy now going to get blocked by by, by someone like Snyman from an Irish point of view does that does that count to things and to be honest with you considering it's a one-year deal and he'll probably be injured for seven of the nine months of the season it's it's probably not that much of a risk yeah, yeah. the only the only solution I can think of is that he just plays uh, a season for each one of the provinces, you know, three or four games for each one over the next three years, and that's all fine. Yeah. Then he gets to yeah. stay in Ireland. The other, the other thing I was just thinking as well is, is, is with that, like I understood the sort of the anger on Twitter, and we're all talking about you know moving between provinces. But as Nathan was saying, like this system is designed to make the Irish rugby team the national team. That that that's what it's all pointing towards. And I think you would be. I think personally, I'd be a lot more annoyed if Snyman was going to. England and improving their second rows in their national teams rather than Cohen, you know, if he's going to move up the road to Leinster and help James Ryan and Joe McCarthy's development for a year, I'm not you know, that like just personally, I just don't find that that affront like that much of an affront. I think if guys are moving around Ireland, I understand boys don't want them moving from Munster Leinster and I get those rivalries, but I think when Lucifer, you know, you've got to make some difficult decisions. And sometimes, as you say, it's free market capitalism. They're going to want their guy. But I think lots of the time, the decisions when the guys move within Ireland is all to the benefit of the, of the national team. And I think when you're trying to do that, like, it, it's, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I'm not that, I'm not that bothered by the Simon thing. In fact, I'm happier he would move to Leinster than he would move, than if he moved to France. I think he's more of a benefit to Ireland staying in Ireland. But I, you know, I get when guys move around, but I think it can also then be to you know to someone like Ulster's benefit if there's extra players at Leinster, and you know you want to move boys about. I think that's you know to the benefit of all the provinces as long as there is a genuine consensus of we're trying. It doesn't really matter, you know. It's not all about making Leinster the best team or trying to make Munster the best team. 
as long as you're trying to move guys about to improve the national you know squad and the selection and things like that i think that's only good for irish rugby and so i think someone like archie simon staying staying on the island and playing with irish players is a good thing um but i understand if i mean if he was leaving ulster and going to leinster for a year you probably wouldn't be very happy but i think there, there's a lot more there's more positives to it than maybe people want to make out and uh, so i think it'll be interesting to see how someone like humphrey now david humphrey's taken over as high performance director what his views will be on things like this. But I think the way Nusa Four has done it, he gets a lot of flack. But I mean, Irish rugby's in a better place with the national team than it's probably ever been. And so yeah. it's it's difficult to have a go at him when the end result does seem to work. Well, yeah. Uh, 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 oh, oh, sorry, Nathan. Just the other thing is, I mean, we mentioned earlier, he's, not, he's only on a one-year deal. That's all they were allowed to get him for. So, yeah. you know, he's going to be in a... 23-man squad. He's going to be one of the three locks of injury permitting alongside James Ryan and Joe McCarthy. So that those lads are all going to play. They've got a couple of under-20s guys coming up who are good. Brian Gleeson being one. Um, no, sorry, not Brian Gleeson. He's the monster guy. Uh, Deeney. Sorry, okay. Deeney. That's the second row. Um, so he, he's not going to get blocked because he's, Simon's going to be gone in a year. So that's that's the other yeah. thing. So from a pure ruthless point of view, it, it all makes sense. Like I said earlier, the one area I could see this being a wider conversation is could Leinster afford this? If Doris wasn't being bumped onto a central contract paid by the RFU, or if Dan, it hasn't happened yet, but it will, Dan Sheehan doesn't get bumped up. Andrew Porter's already there. James Ryan's already there. And um, there's a few others. I think Josh Van der is already there. So that's the question. Henshaw, that's the question. If, if all of Leinster's core are not being paid for by Leinster, is it fair that then they've got half a million or just under half a million to spend on the best lock in the world? Yeah, well, just just wait, Nathan, until uh, Humphreys is the uh, is director of, of perfor- high performance with, with Ireland, and um... just very very quickly, Peter, can I say I think it's all irrelevant because at the end of the day, it only just pisses off the monster fans, and there's nothing bad about that. So I'm happy, you know, as long as <laughs> as long as our engine, uh, uh, you know, makes for, I know. Makes for an entertaining guy on Twitter, so. I'm happy about that. Yeah, we're going to be like too long. Do you know, they're just going to sign all these Galacticos stars uh, when Humphreys becomes, uh, uh, gets initiated for his role. So I look forward to that. And look, we're, we're used who to needs, getting... Who needs RG Snyman when you've got Alan O'Connor? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Simple odd. <laughs> and we've had we've had players, Nick, there's a long history of Leinster Nick and our players, Isaac Boss. <clears throat> the list goes on. And... Um, yeah, that's, that's yeah. the list. <laughs> Ed O'Donoghue, that's a big one as well. Ed O'Donoghue, people Remember forget him. about that. I know. So look, uh, look, yep. it goes goes both ways. Um, so sorry. Before this becomes the RG Snyman podcast, which is a decent spin-off idea, actually. Um, if mm-hmm. any of his sort of agents are listening, um, that would be that would be a good idea. But Ian, we want to return to the game. I just thought it was an interesting aside, and Nathan, I know you have to go at some stage here, so I just wanted to get your get your chat on that issue. Um, so Ian, just there's we we talked about some of the individual performances, but Daniel can uh, uh, Daniel mentioned some of them, but could you maybe give us any players who stood out to you, both for good and bad reasons? Um, yeah. Um, first of all. Um, in, in the last few podcasts, we've been very critical of the of the forward pack, um, shipping shipping a, a lot of penalties at scrum time, uh, and poor defensive efforts, particularly in our own uh, in our own twenty two. Uh, so it, it was good to see the forwards uh, stepping up on uh, Saturday night, and uh, just a couple of of those guys uh, I would mention. Uh, the spicy plum gets off, mm. um, and his um, 
what I perceive to be his um, uh, work already with the forwards at scrum time. Um, we could see the difference, uh, I think, uh, uh, between uh, that game and the Bath game. Uh, and we actually um, uh, were winning scrum penalties. Um, so, that was, so that was excellent. Um, Dave Ewers, who, who doesn't maybe get the plaudits that uh, some of the other ones do, I just noticed his stats. Mm -hmm. 20 carries uh, in that game uh, for 28 metres. Mm -hmm. And also thirteen tackles. It was, uh, it, was, so, it was his best game for Ulster. Uh, it was mm, the best I've ever seen him play for us. He was really superb. You're right in. Yeah, big, 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 big game. I thought Timoney was was uh, back to, uh, you know, his Ireland uh, form that, mm. that he showed a couple of seasons ago. Again, sixteen carries for forty four and fifteen tackles. Uh, obviously, two tries, but I, I, I don't think he had to. Um, to perform too well to... He had to put his hand up in the weekly meeting and say, no, yeah, I'll, I'll do that better than more. I'll do yeah, um, more. Hand up or shouted the loudest, whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, uh, those guys in the forwards, Hendy as well, I think, uh, had, a, had a big game. And it was interesting when we scored that first um, uh, uh, unique mall try that uh, whilst the other guys were celebrating with each other, Hendy was way back on the halfway line, uh, and I and I just thought at that time, I was just watching him, and I just thought, you know, there's a guy who ha who has achieved something tonight, and he is really up for this game. Back into his position straight away, no faffing about. Yeah. Um, 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 sorry, uh, Nathan and Daniel both spoke uh, um, about James Hume, uh, and again. Um, you know, I said it last time, his form is, is definitely uh, at the top at the minute. Uh, and I'm hoping that uh, um, our friends in, in the Ireland camp have taken note of that. And, and it is interesting, too, that, that Gary Ringrose isn't uh, at, at his best at the moment. Um, I know there's other uh, centres at other provinces who are maybe putting their hand up as well. But, you know, Hume has been in there and, and, and done it before, so... Um, fingers crossed that, that uh, he gets rewarded for that form that he's in. Uh, I, I don't have really anybody that disappointed me. Uh, obviously, there's some some of them, uh, you know, maybe just had, um, you know, six and a half, seven out of ten games. Um, but um, I, I'm not going to single anybody out. Uh, tonight, we'll, wait to, we'll get a poor performance and maybe do that. <laughs> I, I just thought as well. Sorry, just quickly as well, just to set Trump on ears. But I actually thought some of the some of the hunger for Hume to get on the ball in that first, um, maybe it was like a hundred. I think the commentary described it as have the yeah hundred seconds of home onslaught was the first one. Like you know, we described that first minute and a half. I thought James Hume's hunger. We snapped back, open side, blind side, maybe six times amid Khaleesi tackle, maybe about four tackles in the first minute and a half. And James Hume was like a massive part of that. He was constantly holding that blind side. And it was clearly something that we, we talked about or Dan had talked about in the build-up. And and I thought he was so he was so sharp early on. I mean, he's made just a number there, it was 92 meters um on 13 carries, which is which is like which is ridiculous from the center against Gail Feku, who most a lot of people would have as their best 13 in the world. 
Um, and like that, and and again, seven tackles. I thought as well. Every time Fiku got the ball, he was he was closed down pretty quickly. There was maybe one moment in the first half where he sort of had a half break, but th- that's a really, really, really impressive performance. That's not racking up numbers against a, a poor opposition. Like that's one of the best centers in the world, and he really took him to task. I think that's it's one of the best. It's one of the best performances I've seen from. Um, and I also I got I got a picture with him in the terrace afterwards when he came over, so I was delighted with that. It was like it was an awesome evening. <laughs> <laughs> love it, love it. Um, in, in terms of uh providing a bit of balance, I always turn to Fergus for this bit, and it's called too good, too bad. So Fergus, two positives and two negatives from the game, if if you can. First things first, can you hear me? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right, okay. Goodness, so yeah. We're ahead of last week already, and I've had a word with a neighbour to take a break from his latest hobby of drilling holes in the wall. So we'll have unfiltered audio quality this week, which is which is great, great bonus. Um, and the first thought is like listening to everyone else talking there certainly goes with an Ulster persuasion. Is the tone shift from last week? You know, the same team we're talking about, and a not very altered lineup from last week, but just like a totally different performance. So actually, when you're talking about too good, too bad. Last week it was it was like rooting around in the ground trying to think what crumbs of comfort you could take from the game. Whereas this week the good column is like overflowing and the bad is is very minimal. Um, it's a bit like that quote Peter you came off with towards the end of a podcast. You actually had it written down in front of you and couldn't read it properly. But the <laughs> essence the essence of it was you're never as good as you think you are in your win and never as bad as yeah. I can't remember what it was. Nailed uh, it. But... Absolutely nailed it. Well done. <laughs> you're never as bad as you are when you lose. Um, so the, the bad points I'll get out of the way, first of all, because there, there wasn't much. The first one's very obvious. I think they lost their first six lineouts, which mm. at that level of rugby is pretty bad. Like, I can't think of seeing a, a, you know, a, a top-level rugby match where a side has been so poor in the lineout, albeit... The slant on that is they actually improved as the game went on. Um, and I saw uh, McFarland interviewed after the game and he acknowledged the lineup was a disaster, but said they they tweaked a couple of things and put it right for the second half. But I was sort of wondering, like, the Ulster know they're allowed to practice lineouts. You know, it's something that you can't actually do in the training ground and try and get right. So I think this season that's been a bit of a weakness and it's nearly surprising that they played so well. Probably made up for the fact that, you know, if you're not giving yourself that, that base off the set play, it's a massive disadvantage, and maybe first half they could have been even more on top if they had have had a, a semi-functional lineout. And the second bad I have noted down here is their mall defence. Um, wasn't wasn't a massive weakness, but second hand that's something that Rasing started to try and exploit, um, and got a got a try from from mall defence off one of their attacking lineouts. But then you get on to the the good points. So picking out individuals. We've touched on most of them already. I mean, you can go through the team. I don't think anyone did play badly. I think everyone really put their hand up and played near their potential. Um, but I thought Mike, Mike Laurie probably deserves a mention. Um, hadn't played in a few weeks. His confidence, you would have thought, would have been quite low after what's been a quite an underwhelming season so far. But he played really confidently. I thought there was a couple of times he got the ball. Um, one particular time in his own 22, you know, did a wee dummy. Um, took his time, was able to make a good clearance kick. And I think uh, compared to Stuart Moore and Will Addison, I think they're probably more kind of reliable, functional fullbacks, which against lots of opposition um, would be who you want to pick. But I do think Mike Laurie, when he's playing well like that, offers you a wee bit more just spark, a bit more creativity. Um, 
and I seem to have a thing for short men because him and him and Dave Shannon, I've gone on about. I'm a big fan of both, so uh, maybe something I have to go away and think about and reflect <laughs> upon. But um, I thought Mike Lowry played very well. The other thing, Fergus, just quickly, lovely legs on Mike Lowry, or well, he got a different attributes. Yeah, okay. Okay. I don't, I don't want to. Yeah. yeah, we should have a week which is just dedicated to handsome rugby players. But uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm just, I'm just spitballing ideas. Can we here. just rate, we'll just read all the rigs in the Ulster team. Who's got, who's got the best rig? Who's the most stacked player that we have? Yeah. I think Michael Lowry's being a good case. He's, he's in good well, neck. Yeah, I think I think in a week whenever we're struggling for material, we'll start to rate the super hunks. But actually, <laughs> there's, there's plenty to talk about this week. So um, the other good. You see, there's so many. I've got a long list of stuff written down here in the good stuff. So I'm going to make my official second good point, the home crowd and the fact that it's, you know, Ravenhill or Kingspan, if we're going to call it that, on a Saturday night. I think it's also interesting that last week in the podcast, even though Ulster were, the score wasn't that dreadful. The performance was quite dreadful last week away at Bath. You'd look at them and think, what is it again inspired about? But equally at the end of the podcast, I don't know if we're slight tongue-in-cheek, but I think everyone predicted an Ulster win, and there wasn't much logic for that, apart from the fact that you know what Ulster are like. I think mm. they're quite an emotional team. I think they, they respond to the home crowd. When you know it's going to be a Saturday night, uh, it was a bit windy and a bit cold, and everyone's got a chance to have a few beers, so everyone's got a bit larry and the, the noise goes up. I think it is a tough place to go. You know, It's different if you're there like in a you know Saturday afternoon, a Saturday night, 8 o'clock kickoff, really suited Ulster this week. I think the crowd um, were were a big help. But I've, I have a list of other things, so I'm going to go through very quickly the other good things, I thought. So an obvious one was Cooney's kicking. Um, we've talked about that before. There's been a couple of games that Ulster have won by virtue of nailing conversions and penalties. And again, Cooney got four conversions and a penalty, which actually was quite crucial in this one. And some of them, uh, on a windy night, you know, weren't easy kicks. I thought, it's already been mentioned earlier, but the referee, they did very well whatever they did to get him onside reasonably early in the game. And I thought they probably benefited from a couple of generous decisions, which makes all the difference. Um, there was that incident. Um, Tom O'Toole was a judge to have been uh, impeded and going for the tackle. I wasn't convinced he was going to make that tackle. So that, that disallowed try for Rassing really helped at a crucial stage in the game. And then uh, the scrum. The scrum was stable. Um, that's all you can ask for. So although the Leonard didn't go great, the scrum was much improved than what has been in previous weeks. And the discipline as well. I saw the post-match stats. They gave away half the number of penalties that Rassing did. So whilst Rassing's discipline wasn't great, Ulster actually didn't give up too much for free in terms of, of penalties. The things I really enjoyed, and again, it's been touched upon already, but the sort of manufactured malls. So there was one that literally um, they chose to take a tap and go. And Cooney actually just did like a wee, a wee deft chip up in the air. I think it was Timothy came crashing onto the ball. And I love the like ingenuity of that. Because I don't think I've ever seen it before. I'm assuming it was on purpose. I don't think it was a mistake. But he literally just did a wee tap kick. And then uh, Timothy came racing onto it, which is great. And it's sort of the whole setup, especially when the, the lineup wasn't going well, reminded me of like, you know, like sort of junior school rugby. Um, it's, it's a real memory of mine that you would have always done like a really elaborate setup where you have a scrum half who taps it to the front row who are sitting in a three. And you'll have like three decoy runners running every every different direction, and they very rarely worked out. But um, it was like <laughs> it was a nostalgia thing. It's not. I, I don't recall recently again seeing that in the rugby pitch. I don't think they'll get away with it again. But it was good to see them sort of thinking outside the box and doing something different. And again, I saw Dan McFarland interviewed after the game, and he talked about that. And he said, "Yeah, that's that's actually something I can't take credit for." 
It's uh, I think he called it Handy or Hendo worked on it. Um, he called it in the lab. I don't know if that's a, a term he's used before, but he's like, yeah, we took that one to the laboratory and uh, worked on it, and uh, it, it really worked out. It was a great tactic. Um, what I did feel a bit sorry for was the fact that if you're the man taking that ball, you know Henderson. I think Trimble said it in commentary. You know, he's the Trimble said everyone loves this, everyone's really enjoying this, except for Henderson because he's the one that's taking the massive impact on his back when everyone else is driving him forward and the opposition are coming at it the other way. But uh, no, I really enjoyed that, and it was something for the crowd to get behind. I don't think it's something they can necessarily repeat regularly, uh, but on the night that worked as a brilliant tactic. Yeah. So I think I've given you. About nine goods <laughs> and two bads. So it's just a balance for the sake of balance. One thing is not a bad point. It's just something that I can't quite get my head around. I'd be interested to know what everyone else's opinion is. But um, Harry Sheridan didn't get long in the pitch. But when he came on, he always makes an impact. He's a, he's a pest and he's a big physical unit and he loves getting involved. And I can't see how you don't pick him ahead of Matty Ray, who didn't do anything wrong. Um, and he's a solid, you know, solid professional. But he, you know, he doesn't stand out. Whereas I sort of think Harry Sheridan always stands out every time he comes onto the pitch. And you could have put, you know, Sheridan at six, and then uh, years into eight or whatever combination you want. But I just feel like that would have given a wee bit more. So it's not really a bad. But just as a final point, I can't understand why Sheridan's not getting the start. Agree, agree. Friend of the pod, Harry Sheridan. I'd like to see more of him. I genuinely think he's a class player. I don't know if, if you've seen much of uh, a fellow Harry. Uh, Harry, um, he's one of our young players coming through. Have you have you come across? Do you know some of the young players at Ulster or uh, likes of Harry Sheridan? Tom Stewart's obviously a big one. Um, have you have you got to watch Ulster closely in the past uh, season or two? Yeah, no, I try to watch. I mean, you're my team in in Ireland, and so I try to do enough uh, to be you know moderately useful. I just thought in general to tap into some of the other things people have been saying that you guys um, you addressed the. The four things I think were going wrong in the Ulster season so far. One is you're taking making too many tackles. Is a it's a it's a fine line. I mean, you, it, it's you know percentage be damned. If you miss ten percent of two hundred tackles, it's still worse than missing fifteen percent of a hundred. Uh, you just cannot have that kind of tackle machine uh, mentality for a long season. It'll work out for you in a knockout here and there. But um, I think it was good to bring that down. I think the turnover game Ulster's been down. And I think that's a lot in the head. It's choice making. It's uh, um, Timmy was very good. I think also their uh, their players were getting in the passing channels. So I saw several times Kitsov did this, Hume did this, and Balakun did this. They got in the passing channels of Fiku, uh, anticipating even on the slow drift back in general play, just being a nuisance, just getting in the line. Henderson did the same thing. Uh, but you know, you if you're using NIQ, I go for Quaha Smith. He's got 40 turnovers this year, and Ulster only has 37 as a team. So uh, up against Leinster coming up, I know we're going to talk about that, but that's going to be a problem. The kick chase was much better. I think the um, see, Ulster's only retained 13 kicks out of 147 kicks in URC. That's not going to work. Uh, I thought in this game, even though it wasn't that many, I thought it set a tone early that the kicks are going to be contested and they'll be in the sidelines. Uh, and like people have alluded to, the set piece is, it was a lot better. So that just comes down to the first row, the second row becoming friends. Uh, like, let's get acquainted, guys. So um, I think that's going to come around. I think all those things will stay. They'll they'll keep getting better, and I would ho- hopefully see that against Connacht. But um, no, I think there's plenty to to look at here and see bright uh, signs. And I think part of it's just the mentality. I think 
most importantly, there was a proper opposition at home, 12,000 people in the stands. It just felt like the young players, like you're talking about, would have looked at that and said, yeah, this is a team. We can do this, and we're going to beat some good guys. That was a proper team you guys beat. Yeah. yeah just, just, sorry, just quickly on that on that defensive point. I thought we were a lot more bold, and like sometimes to our detriment. Like I thought the M off one is, is you know Balakin gets caught, sort of not really known. Like Nathan mentioned, there's another one where McCloskey flew up, but Balakin sat. But in lots of different points, we like as you were saying, Hume and Henderson, a lot of guys being really bold in defense, and I thought. As we were saying last week, if you're not maybe going to have a massive amount of jackal threats, I think James Hume was probably, again, our best jackal threat that he had too. Um, if you're not going to have loads of jackal threats, you probably have to be a bit more bold in defence. Otherwise, we end up like we were at Bath, waiting and allowing teams, and they just build on us and build on us. And like Harry was saying, it's eventually you get broken down in the last 20 minutes. Um, I think that's something that we were definitely, we looked like we had decided to be more bold in defence. And if it meant the occasional bust or something, we were going to live with that. But I think it, over the course of a season, if you become more more acquainted with that style of defending, you know, someone like Balakun noticing when McCluskey's flying up and he just goes with them, I think over the course of a season, it becomes a strength. And I think that's something that we could probably look at. And just one more thing I was just going to mention, Fergus said about kicking. Um, we had sort of mentioned a bit last week, kicking on our own terms. And there was a really good moment early doors. I just thought watching um, first time through, which was we sort of made a break up to the halfway line, came back, made a carry. And Billy Burns, it's about eight minutes in, Billy Burns just put the ball into space. And that was us kicking on our terms. We chose to kick to, to push them back. Um, And I think a bit more of that, like throughout a, throughout a, a campaign would be really, really beneficial for us. Again, in terms of, not having to defend in our own half, not having to, you know, make everything for ourselves. And I thought we maybe played on the fact that they were making errors. And by doing that, you know, we were saying, like, if we can push them down there and let them make all those errors down there, that would really suit us. And I think that's what we... we there was just a couple of... It's only small tweaks, but I thought it, it was maybe even a, a bit of mindset, but I thought it was great. And as you were saying, I think Harry Sheridan's another guy who I'd actually love to see start this week because I think... He can really bring a lot more. I think he's at one of our like I've I watched him a bit at Trinity, um, you know, over the last couple of years, and like he was playing with Joe McCarthy at Trinity. So that's I mean that was a pretty good AIL um second row pairing. But they were like he's a really 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 good player. I think more of him at six would be good to see because he looks like he looks like Ian Henderson even when he was younger. You know, it's a very similar shape. He's a big boy and he and he and he tackles in a very similar way. I think, as you say, he's a nuisance, but he's also a very good ball player. And I'd love to see more of more of Harry Sheridan starting. Yeah. He's a good pedigree as well. Came through Sullivan Upper, which is a breeding ground uh, for Ulster players now. And um good good to see a guy like that. And also civil service rugby club as well. Um, so shout out to them. And uh yeah, he's done so well. Huge fan of Harry Sheridan. And sorry, Jack, we've been uh, need to get to your question now, which is the million dollar question, I think. Uh, with with regard to where Ulster are now, there's the atmosphere change, but do you think the win at the weekend is a turning point for Ulster, or do you think it's maybe a false dawn? Yeah, thanks, Peter, and yeah, thanks everyone. I'm finally getting to um, say something <laughs> on this podcast. Uh, uh, um, uh, I could, I could try and be, you know, I think, I think most people listen to podcasts for, um, for that, for that, you know, clever insight, and that bit of balance, but um, I'm not about that. So I'm just going to say that this is a complete turnaround, and we're going to do the double um, this year. So. You know, expect us to um, just just fire away, basically. You know, um, Connett, Leinster, La Rochelle, doesn't matter. Um, 
will uh, will probably just you know be everyone um because it's clicked everything's working and um should be fine but um but no like it's um it's a great win but obviously you got to back it up um you know week after week so you know we were possibly just scraping through um a few of the early results um especially if we go back to the first game against um zebra this is a massive turnaround in terms of performance and in terms of statistics and just everything was just was just miles better um so it's it's a great win it's a great you know you know a great win to get people back in you know back at ravenhill the raven ban um and to just get people up for watching ulster basically you know i mean ultimately we just want to have have fun and be entertained and i think it was what we were what we were talking about last week um on the pod is um I think well, I think I mentioned it was just um forget about everything lads you know forget about the big rising speeches just go out and have a bit of crack and they did that and they just you know made a little thing about a laboratory and just um play, tried a few moves out and they were just running around like kids they were just having the best time so uh you know more of that more more of the more of the enjoyment uh for playing the game and um get back to that so I'd love to say that it'll be um it'll be all rosy, but um depending on selection, rotation, it's a couple of huge weeks coming up. Um, not everyone's gonna be able to play 80 minutes. Um, you're gonna have to rotate guys in and out. That'll cause a wee bit of disruption as it as it does. Um, but if they can if they can keep that level of performance for, you know, a good chunk of games for, you know, 60, 70 minutes, then then they'll be in a really, really um tidy position. But um there's a couple of well. I think the key guy to come back is Dave McCann. If he comes back, I think the back row suddenly looks so much um, more balanced, just in terms of who can you know who can play, and just in terms of the level of performance. Um, you know, you stick him in there with Timoney and yours, and it suddenly becomes a very, very, very strong, um, multifaceted back row. Um, and he offers that jackal threat that we were mentioning earlier as well. So that's 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 obviously massive and, and key. But obviously, he's still on the uh, the rehab physio table, so. We'll have to wait and see. That's the boring answer because um, the end of the season we'll 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 look back at this and think, well, was it was it a turning point or not? But um, for me, it felt like this was the game that we were kind of wanting Ulster to click on. Maybe two or three games ago, maybe the Glasgow game, maybe the Edinburgh game, and it didn't click. So I'm hoping that this is this is that game and that things have just clicked and that you know, barring any uh, wild traffic uh or weather uh disruptions like we had last time and players having to play a good game on two or three hours sleep um you know things should be things should be on the up or at least uh i certainly hope that they are um because i just want to see ulster be playing well yeah fair fair and look in terms of um in terms of that turnaround time will tell there's a couple of injuries i just want to give you a bit of a squad update here there's one uh released during the week and they're quite hard to come by so uh when i saw it come out and it didn't mention it, it's funny it leaves out loads of players as well it just tells you some and then leaves you guessing about the likes of uh dave mccann's out injured who talked about jackal threat mccann was awesome at that at the start of the season hasn't been about he got injured and marty moore um marty moore came back and then he he's away again um this week, Billy Burns, uh, arm injury uh, in the game at the weekend. Rob Herring injured his ankle uh, as he was through the wars. He was uh, he went off for an HIA and then did his ankle as well. So not good. He had uh, a knee at one point. He looked like he'd also like twisted his knee in a break time at one point. As well. He did. Uh, he twisted. I right enough. 
No, it's almost as if the plastic pitch is an absolute nightmare. No, is it? Hey, there we go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, is, is there a time scale on Dave McCann? Is it how long are we expect him to be out for? Don't know. At, 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 at that time, I think they said about four to six weeks. So I think he's been into four weeks at the minute. Uh, Mar- Marty Moore was ruled out because of illness and not injury. Right. So yeah. he hopefully he'll be uh, well enough to to take his place this week. And the good news, I think, is that Sean Raphael is back mm. in training and um, up for selection this week. Uh, it'd be class to have uh, Raphael back because he he's hardly played when he ha- I think we talked about him last week when he has featured at all. He's been good. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't haven't really seen much of him. So look, I'm just going to uh, I'm conscious of time. We, we spent a lot of time on the Snyman thing, so I just want to turn to the most important question now and um, maybe start with you Harry for this one um, predictions uh, so predictions for we've got Connacht uh, and Leinster the next two games and that will be decisive I think Connacht's a huge one Leinster tricky decent wee team Leinster uh, be, be hard enough going down there but Harry what, what's your what's your opinion on those next couple of games Do you think Ulster Ulster can, can continue this momentum Oh yeah, I mean, also should win at home against Connacht. Um, I would say the four things I said that that were wrong with Ulster's play this season, the fact that that's what was addressed uh, against uh, Racine gives me hope that it was the beginning of a turnaround. Whether they confirm it, whether it, it lost doesn't matter. It's they're fixing the right things. Like I hate it when a team is do, not doing right and they they try to add something that's not even really material it's material to have a good kick chase material to have a better set piece the line out you know still shambles got to be fixed so against connacht gives you that perfect uh opportunity to double down on those fixes you know let's let's uh let's work on our set piece let's have it immaculate let's be impeccable in our set piece um i think ulster scoring enough points uh i just don't know if that defensive effort would really um be good enough. So I think there's there's just a few moments. I don't know what it is. Mental lapses that they could um, again have a comfortable opponent to test that out with. But I'm thinking, yes, I'm thinking the Leinster game. Um, geez, it's going to be tough. Um, I think the turnover is going to the, the breakdown is going to be everything there. Um, if they can keep the aggregate score under thirty, then I think it's good odds. But if it blows out too much. I'm not liking I'm not liking a horse race with um, Leinster with their 30 internationals on their team and their NIQs and their IQs and whatever else they got going on. You know, um, I think the defense has to tighten up. I suppose. Yeah, it'd be crucial. Who who else? Uh, who else has a prediction for the next couple of games? Um, I thought going into the I thought with I think with Colin, I think you're right. I mean, I think this, the other thing with Colin is that we we probably are in a wee bit of a we're as fans we might be in a slightly um you know just you're just likely to sort of slightly take them for granted. They've had two really tough weeks in Europe, and actually I'm not sure they had a very dissimilar couple of weeks to what we maybe had. We maybe just you know they had their their really really bad performance like we had, but they had it at home, and then they had to go to Saracens. And going to Saracens is on par with the RDS or going to La Rochelle. It is one of the toughest trips in Europe. And to be honest, they never really give up the fight. Actually, though, they look decent for large parts. The other thing is they get Mac Hansen back this week, who every time I've watched them with Mac, they look a very different outfit. So I think that it's a it's a tougher game. I don't think any players are going to be under any, you know, um, 
you know, they, they, they'll know how difficult this is going to be. Um, Connacht are a top team with, you know, what are we proud of the year nominee and a 12 and, a, 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 you know, Cardi or Hanrahan at 10 are both good and, and, and you know, so I and Bealem and stuff, they're, they're a proper team, Connacht. And the other thing for Connacht is this is now becoming maybe, you know, what we were talking about last week with wrestling, it's maybe becoming for them that level of game like it's becoming that worrying for them that that they need a win or they need something to turn their season around so it'd be very big for them so i think we we need to win this week we should win this week but it'll be tougher than we maybe make than we were maybe initially thinking um and then with leinster you'd hope that we would send down a, a stronger team than we have than we normally do but i just get the sense as you know you're saying looking at that We've had, you know, Henderson's played 80 minutes back-to-back in Europe. Presumably he's going to play again this week because they'll view this game as a more likely winner. And then you're starting to sort of see how much or how how likely is it that we're going to them on New Year's Day and sending a, a weaker side. I mean, Sale did it at the weekend. You know, teams do this a lot, the Leinster, and they just accept that there's no point as higher saying get into a horse race with them. You're more likely to expend a lot of energy um in a loss and that's what team and i mean it's an incredible um thing for us for a professional sports team to have is that a lot of teams give up the ghost before they even get on the bus but that was a that i think i would like to see us go down to the rds and really give them a proper task um because we have a bit of a gap between then and toulouse it's a couple of weeks off um so i would like to see us do that i would really like to see us give leinster a go but if we don't i mean it's it's equally you know it's it's down to the management, whatever they think. But as you said, I would expect us to be Connacht. I hope we would be Connacht. I think if we play like that, we will be Connacht. But I think with the Leinster game, it'll all come down to the squad we send down. And I think if we if we send down a full squad, I, I I wouldn't see any reason why you couldn't put it up to them because they didn't look brilliant against Sale. I I wasn't overly impressed. That wasn't the Leinster that Stuart Lancaster had working. And Jack Neambar is a new coach, and he did brilliant things with that win over La Rochelle. It's very well orchestrated, but. I, I I would I would personally if I was James Hume, for example, I'd want to be playing at the RDS against Guy Ringrose. You know, if I'm Ian Henderson, I wouldn't be playing against James Ryan. So I think I think if I if I was Ulster players, but it'll all be down to the management and what squad we sent down. So the Leinster game, it, it, that's probably tough for the call until you see the teams. But I think Connacht this weekend, it, it, we should be winning that. Absolutely. Over to you, Jack. Uh sorry. Uh yeah, my prediction is pretty um pretty straightforward. We'll smash Connacht, and then Leinster will smash us. We'll uh, we'll send the kids down to um to the RDS probably, and then uh, they'll give us a good they'll give us a good hammering down there. Um, but yeah, that's my prediction. <laughs> you have little faith, unbelievable. <laughs> uh, Ian, give us something more positive than that, right? <laughs> well, yeah, um, I think we'll beat Connacht, um, but we need to match Connacht's aggression. Um, because they always play very aggressively against us. And uh, if we match that aggression, then I think we can beat them. Um, it's interesting, the, the comments about uh, going down to Leinster. Leinster have a very uh, tough game on Boxing Day, and then they have a six-day turnaround to play against us. And traditionally, Leinster will, will uh, uh, rest their uh, frontline players before uh, the next uh, European um, games. Uh, I expect that they will take a strong team to uh, Limerick uh, on Boxing Day and then they will rest their key players against us. So it may well be an, an, an interesting selection for Dan. I don't think he'll jettison too many of the, the, the bigger players. I mean, why, why, why wouldn't we be playing 
uh, Stevie Kitsoff in every game or or, or uh, Dave Ewers in every game. Uh, and if we were resting international players, it might be uh, McCluskey and Henderson and Herring if he's fit. Uh, and then, you know, you're going pretty well uh, full strength uh, after that. Uh, so there's no reason why we can't uh, come back um, up the road with a positive result there. I, in, I in as you're pointing out, Ian, as well, that might also be a time where someone like McCann comes back. Like that, that That's the kind of game where certain players will be targeting to come back in and, and play that. So I, I think you're right with that, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Fergus, good evening. Uh, what, what do you yeah. think about these next two? Uh, I, I agree with Ian. Um, I, I do expect Ulster to beat Connacht, but I think there's a wee... They need to be up for the game, and I, th- I think having got a good win, Ulster have a bit of a habit, I think, of nearly, like, you know, believing the small amount of hype that they get. Um, I thought against Edinburgh, and I, I don't know if I'm the only one, but watching that game, I just kept on thinking, they think they're going to win this, and they're running mm-hmm. out of time, and the, you know, the, the game slipped away, and they finished strong, and I, I just think they need to get in the habit of starting games with the right mindset and with the right level of intensity because they need to have that intensity. They, they aren't good enough to sort of play in fits and bursts and expect to win all their games. And I know, again, as a Man United fan, Eric Ten Hag, basically said about United recently, they aren't they aren't good enough to be consistent. Um, I sort of feel like Ulster aren't good enough to be consistent either. So I, mean, I, I could totally see them beating Connick comfortably and then going down to Dublin and getting fairly easily dispatched. I don't want to be negative. It's hard to predict two games in a row. It depends on the lineup. But certainly looking at the, the next game up, Connacht they should win. You just have to have the right level of intensity and the right attitude. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think I think we'll smash them both because I'm a real Ulster fan, but um <laughs> yeah, everyone else can disagree. <laughs> no, who who knows? Um, but look, I, I largely agree with that. Look, it's very difficult to know with the it's a bit of a silly question because you're like, who, who what squad's going to Leinster? Uh, so yeah, fool's errand really, but uh worth worth chatting. <laughs> yeah, but I, th- I think as well as you as you were as you were pointing out there, like the other thing actually nope. that you pointed out really well is what what squad will they set? And it feels a bit like weirdly like a Ryder Cup singles Sunday or something. Like it's like who who are you gonna play? Because that might decide who we're gonna play. Because if you send the kids, we might not. And you're certainly getting this weird cat and mouse between two coaches. I think if you're Dan McFarland, you may as well as as Ian saying send a good a team as you can to the RDS. And if they go full whack, well then. You're playing against a good team. I think I think that's not a bad idea. You've got two weeks. The only thing that I suppose Dan McFarland might say is I'm not really prepared to get to, you know, have Ian Henderson get injured uh two weeks before our European Cup game in a game that we expected to lose or something anyway. So yeah, I can understand that. I can understand that. But it's it's interesting, I suppose, because Leinster aren't in as strong a spot maybe as they always have been. Yeah, they're not they're not unbeatable. I thoroughly enjoyed going down to watch them in the, the final last season and see that they're not invincible. Um and uh, had my La Rochelle flag and all in half. <laughs> <laughs> Who, are you a monster are you a monster supporter in disguise? <laughs> you know, I actually, actually, like a lot of people, I, I do, I, re- I support Irish teams against anyone else uh, except Leinster usually, um, just because they're too good and it's fun to fun to root for the underdog. I think. Um, so we got a few listener comments, and I just read these out. We're, we're out of time here, so I'll just sort of go through them quickly. So Stephen uh, Rosbottom, Stephen Rosbottom, and James Bradley. Uh, make the same sort of point to say, do we think Dan has to slow down with tinkering with the squad? Do we need partnerships and pods to play together week in, week out to become a more, more cohesive team? Um, 
Yeah, I think it's a really good question. Um, and, and James, James, the way he phrased it was more of a comment that we need to stick with a, a, a team like that. All I'd say in response is that we've played, I think, apart from Leinster, we're the team who have played the most the most players, you know, in the URC. Uh, so I think it was up the Johnny or someone put that up. Um, yeah. Uh, which is yeah. interesting. Interesting. So forty-seven, forty-seven to forty-six at the moment. Yeah, and and there's maybe also a bit of a problem sometimes with trying to compare ourselves to Leinster because we will naturally do it because of the best province in Ireland. But actually, you know, the, the the thing that got Munster really going down the down the stretch last year was playing guys together in the same twenty-three, and there was minimal enough change. You know, they 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 were able to put together a squad that largely looked the same. And I think that sometimes you can maybe get a wee bit too obsessed with, as you're saying, but too much rotation. I think that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. So you just my, need that. Oh, sorry, go ahead. In. My mate has a theory. Um, the past few seasons, we've started well and finished weekly. Uh, and Dan has, has um, come out this season with a different uh, 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 idea how we're going to go. So uh, we've, we've started weekly and we're going to finish very strongly. Let's let's hope that theory is true. True, and Dan and all his team of scientists in his lab with clipboards and lab coats have figured that out and decided that's the best way to do things. He doesn't that... have the hair for a nutty professor, though, has he? <laughs> what a shame! I know. What a shame. Here, don't make fun of bald people. I have friends who are bald. Uh, that's not fair. Here, <laughs> here. <laughs> Harry, what are you hiding under that hat? Yeah, yeah, yeah one of us, one of us. Quite numbered here. <laughs> good man, good man. Part of the club. Um, so, other question here or comment rather? Stephen Kirkpatrick makes a point that we discussed at length about uh, the perceived imbalance of resources between the provinces. Leinster get world class coaches, all the central contracts, and that's that's uh, become a subject of debate in light of the Snyman signing. All we can say is, yet we've established that there's a Leinster conspiracy, and hopefully that comes to an end mm. um, uh, whenever Humphreys wades in on a, uh, you know, uh, and saves a day. Um, uh, Nav Logan uh, says, "Great podcast, thanks, Nav." Uh, I didn't, I didn't just make that bit up. He did say, "Great <laughs> podcast." Uh, some of he says some of our defending, in particular pillars, was invisible. Uh, Connett and other teams may drive through it willy nilly. Um, I think I think in fairness, our scrum half was unbelievable yeah. at breaks, yeah, wasn't he? Definitely. No, Nolan Lugarek is uh, Dupont's away to play sevens, and so isn't playing the Six Nations. I think Nolan Lugarek. I watched a bit of your man Luku, who's sort of been backing up Dupont. Um, he's been very good for Porto, but Lugarek looked looked very similar mold to Dupont. Like he's not the best player in the world, like Dupont is, but very similar and like really, really, really fast. Like the flat out speed, he is rapid. So I know he was very, very good. I think he made 120 meters or something as well. And as we were saying, that trial that got ruled out, you know, we scored off that. He's a very similar player to Dupont. And it's not to say that we should be defending pillars and guard better, but it's a very good scrum half there. And you'd maybe want to see, you'd maybe worry if it became more of a pattern. But I think Ligarak, just he's a very top. Yeah. Sometimes you have to just stand back and, and applaud people as they run past you. <laughs> Uh, no, it was a it, 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 it was a pleasure watching him. Uh, yeah. It wasn't a pleasure seeing how he was doing it. I would just be a wee bit concerned because uh, although maybe not just a, the same class, but Caelan Blade is is more than capable of of running those lines uh, mm. against yeah. us. So we need to be yeah. very careful. 
that 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 of tracking up the inside of the pitch, um, like beyond the defensive line is obviously something that's good scrum halves are doing now. But Caelan Blade has been superb with that in the ERC. He's really good for Connacht at tracking their attacks. Um, so yeah, no, that as you say, that's something that you just have to be sharp about because he's always channeling up the channeling up the inside of the pitch, especially when they've got quality backs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it no, should I'm... never, it should never happen. It should never happen. That should, <laughs> you should never allow those breaks. But I would say that this kind of pitch for the smaller players and the quick ones, it's really a huge edge. So mm. look forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we better get used to it. And um, there's uh, another question. Final one or the final comment is, should Mike Lowry start at fullback now? Uh, great way to launch attacks from his takes. Completely, that's uh, from Relative Strength 23 on Instagram. Um, I agree with that. Uh I think Mike Lowry's class, you've obviously got Stuart Merv, got the head of the Stuart Merv fan club here this evening and Ian. And uh we've we've also got uh Will Addison as well. He's a class player. So look, there's no no shortage of uh competition. I always think Lowry would be class in the wing and they tried him yeah. a wee bit at the start of the season. I always think that's his natural position, def- yeah. despite not really playing there. <laughs> I know. I I've always I've always thought he looked like very, very Shane Williams or something. It's so jinky. And and I thought actually last year I thought it felt like that Leinster game where they sort of just kicked long to him and made him run the ball in the rain or try and kick it. He sort of struggled with that. I thought he was very, very good on Saturday night. Didn't know about that. But maybe yeah. a slightly better way. I just would worry that if you were going to really go after him, you'd start kicking up Gary Owens and just mm. deal it. And like if we were playing Leicester, you know, and they've got someone like Freddie Stewart with real height, you would just worry about having your fullback being that a shorter guy. Something that he can do anything about. But as you say, you'd maybe rather have him on a wing, mm. you know, in that Kurtley Aronson or uh, Chesson Colby mold where he's a bit shorter, but he doesn't get pestered with kicks. Because I think if you were really trying to take Mike Laurie out of the game. I thought Racing didn't kick very well to him. I thought they kicked, kicked the ball poorly at him and I think they were never likely to go for up and unders. So I thought watching that, I was like, I th- I'm amazed that they haven't tried an up and under on him yet. And 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 they really did kick to our tall wingers, which was a strange thing for them to do. But yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think he doesn't necessarily, he's a great player to have on the pitch, but it's hard to find out what his position is. I know that's been the age old debate. He's a, he's a man who could do it all, sort of like uh, number ten. Do you know he's a good sub because he can come on uh, across mm. the back three and at ten. So uh, not many people who could do that. Um, the same person asks, um, Peter, are there uh, retro Ulster rugby shirts available on the Red Hand website? Yes, <laughs> there are actually. And he adds, <laughs> um, would they make it great? <laughs> <laughs> would they make a good Christmas present? Absolutely, they would. Uh-huh. Um, or at any stage of the year. So uh, snap those up. Um, and look, I think we'd better wrap up there. You could go on for ages, but we've been going on for long enough here. There you go. Probably the last podcast of the year. A final one before Christmas. It can only really happen by overwhelming popular demand. So if you really want a podcast, I don't know, uh, Yes, if a thousand people subscribe to the pod, so we get a, a good number of listeners, but I want you to subscribe and a hundred people to leave a good review on the pod. Not any review, a good review, okay? <laughs> um, so uh, what did we learn from that? Uh, Ulster have it in them to compete with anyone on their day. What's been holding them back? Is it the new playing system, motivation, atmosphere? Who knows? All we care about as fans is harnessing whatever sparked that performance and getting a bit of consistency back. So at the end of the day, it's a taking part that counts in the experience. It's not really, though. It's 
actually a lot more fun to win, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> and play well. So uh, let's keep it going against our provincial rivals. I can't wait until the new year. We uh, are looking forward to beating Leinster at their place. And thanks to Nathan, Jack, Ian, Daniel, Fergus and Harry. What a panel. Um, thanks for listening. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, uh, unless we get a thousand people to subscribe. Uh, have a lovely Christmas and uh, soft thumb. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. All the best. A lot of people who play or used to play rugby listen to this podcast. If you're struggling with an injury, lack of mobility, or some form that you've just got used to looking at it sorely, Back to Better Physiotherapy is a physio practice I highly recommend. The practice owner, John Quigg, is extremely experienced. He's worked with professional sports teams such as Ulster Rugby and Back to Better provide physiotherapy, massage treatment, personal training and rehab. They also have an ice bath and sauna in-house, which are fantastic for recovery. They're located at the Building Box Gym in East Belfast. Book using Instagram at Back to Better Physiotherapy or type their number in 075-685-3000. That's 07-685. Get in touch with them and get your aches and pains sorted.